Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this pod, we cover the late pick five at Pimlico on Saturday, April 24th. This is show number 117, April 23rd, 2021. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, the Kentucky Derby is happening next week. Are you watching workouts and everything else? I'm not sure about everything else. I try to watch some of the workouts and I definitely have the fever. I have hay fever. I have seasonal allergies that tend to, to hit me the hardest right about now. So it's sort of a combination hay fever, derby fever I've got going right now. I have hit the hay fever. I keep going to sleep early <laughs> and, and waking up early. Um, now, as far as workouts, it's interesting. I, I, I'm really busy right now, so I haven't been able to watch any workouts. But I'm counting on Maury Wolf to alert me to the good workouts that I need to watch, um, which hopefully I'll have a chance to watch next week. Yes, and we will have Maury uh, as our special guest next Friday to go over that probably the late pick five on the Derby card, including the Derby. And we also have a special show planned, so why don't you tell people about that for the Derby? Sure, and just to show you how much of a horse player Maury Wolf is, when I told him that we would be doing the pod at around um, 11 a.m. on the Friday before the Derby, he said, first post for the, the Oaks card is 11.30. I hope there isn't a problem. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Uh, yeah, so our Tuesday guest will be the same Tuesday guest that we had before the last Derby, and that is Jay Privman. Yeah, and you said the Tuesday guest, it'll be a special show, and we will run through every entrant that will be doing the show right after the Derby draw. So we'll go through every horse in the Derby, just focused on that one race like we did last year with Jay. and. Jay was a great guest. I mean, he's the national, the guy that covers the national scene on racing for DRF. He does the Derby watch. He does a recap of all the major Derby preps, and, you know, he's on top of it. Last year, he his live long shot was, I think, Mr. Big News. Is that Was that his name, yes, Mr. Big yes, News? That, yes, it who, was. I think he finished third at a big price. So, you know, Jay was pretty spot on with his analysis. He was pretty high and authentic as well. So, um, really looking forward to that. Jay was so good in that pod that he made me feel unprepared. So I am dedicating Sunday to watching replays so that I, I have uh, plenty of ammo. Well, he's been preparing the, literally the entire year for the Derby. I mean, he covers everything about the Derby and he, he talks to a lot of the connections as well. So hopefully, you know, he'll pro be able to provide some insight and 
uh, and help everybody listening in, um, you know, cash some tickets on Derby Day. We are definitely honored to have Jay joining us on Tuesday. Play in the Sport of Kings NHC qualifier starting every month. Each month, the top 50 players who are NHC Tour members advance to round two, which is Breeders' Cup weekend. In that final, 450 players will duke it out playing all 14 Breeders' Cup races. Two people will win a seat to the NHC, and the top 100 will get tour points. Join the NHC Tour before any monthly round one begins. If you join the Tour, you could win up to 20 seats to the NHC in free contests. For only 50 bucks, it's the best deal in racing. If you sign up for the tour, use promo code SPORTOFKINGS so we get credit. If you haven't signed up for our free contest with free DRFPPs, go to sportofkings.net right now. Thank you and good luck. And we have another guest this week from Daily Racing Forum. He's DRF's handicapping editor. He specializes in the Maryland racing circuit. He wrote the book, Betting Maidens and Two-Year-Olds. He's Dan Illman. Dan, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for actually joining us because, uh, you know, based on how much video I see of you, you're doing a lot of handicapping. Uh, I'm doing a lot of handicapping. Thankfully, I love it because if I was doing it, a lot of handicapping and I didn't love it, I probably would be driving myself crazy right now. Now, how long have you been writing and working for DRF? I've been working for DRF, wow, since 1998. I was very fortunate. I got right out of college. I started working for SportsEye, uh, which is now a part of Daily Racing Forum. And right after that, I got uh, the job at DRF, and I've been there for 20-odd years now. It seems like yesterday. Wow, that's that's great. Um, now, you've been handicapping for that long, and um, you handicap a lot more than most of us because that's your job. In your handicapping experience, what are the most important handicapping factors? Oh, I think uh, it's it's uh, speed and pace, I think, are the most important things. I mean, whether you're a, a, a buyer speed figure fan or if you use the sheets, I think that you have to you know, basically eliminate the pretenders and isolate the contenders by finding the fastest horses. I think after that, you should look at the pace scenario of every race because you might have the fastest horse, but unfortunately, the fastest horse is a one-run closer in a race with no speed. And then I think you have to look at trip. I think if you have horses with comparable speed figures running in the race, I think you have to figure out how did the horse earn the speed figure. And the best way to do that is by watching trip. And since all of us can watch trips differently and, and uh, analyze a trip differently, we could come to different conclusions. And I think that might be the most interesting determining factor in finding prices because you can't quantify or put a number on a trip. That's right. And I actually have a, I have a trip note um, and a horse that I've selected today that I think will be a good price based on it not only, um, not only not being notated in the chart, but also um, there's no head on of the race. So, so most people wouldn't notice what I noticed. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that race later. Chris, did you have any questions for Dan? Well, a couple. I mean, this was sort of a, a strange race card because it was actually scheduled for another weekend at another track. Um, and so I'd like, you know, Dan to talk about 
you know, does he think that moving of the dates and the location is going to have any sort of an impact? And if so, what sort of impact? And also, it's opening weekend at Pimlico is kind of a unique track. And is there anything in particular about, you know, that racetrack that we should keep in mind while we handicap the races? They're both really interesting questions. The first one, yes, I really think that the uh, postponement of this card and moving it from Laurel to Pimlico and all of the situation, first with the quarantine, with the equine herpes virus at Laurel, and then the maintenance of the main track, it's going to play a major factor, not only in the races, uh, the stakes races that we're going to talk about, but in all the races at this upcoming Pimlico meet. Uh, horses that have trained at Pimlico are going to have a major advantage or are based at Pimlico. Horses that have been based out of town that are shipping in, I think are going to have a big advantage. Horses that are stabled at Laurel might be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I spoke to Gary Capuano. Uh, who trains one of the favorites in the Tessio Shackled Love. He was very, very honest with me. And he told me that he has missed several workouts with this horse. Uh, he had to take the horse to Delaware to do something with him leading up to this race. And he is very concerned about whether he has this horse fit enough to go a mile and an eighth due to the interrupted training time. I think that's something you really want to consider. Horses that are based at Pimlico uh, and based out of town might have a little bit of a fitness advantage over the horses at Laurel. And from what I noticed yesterday on opening day at Pimlico, I thought the rail was good. The rail always seems to be good at Pimlico, but the rail was very good. Uh, we'll see if, if that continues, especially if we get any wet weather. Well, thanks. We'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, you always, from Preakness, it's always, you know, seems like speed and the rail are typically advantageous, usually at any track on the dirt, but maybe a little more so at Pimlico. So it sounds like you, at least for yesterday, you sort of saw the same thing. Oh, yes. Yesterday, it just seemed like there was no passing with uh, several horses. One race in particular where a horse went to the lead, was pressured by two others, seemed to drop back at least three quarters of a length on the turn, and then just... I don't know if I even want to call it re-rallied or was carried by the track, came back to win that race. So it's something, again, to consider. Great. Okay, well, we'll get started then with the late pick five from Pimlico. It starts with the seventh race. It's the Frank Y. Whiteley Stakes. Six furlongs on the dirt, purse of 100000 for three-year-olds and up. And Dan, why don't you get us started? I appreciate it. Uh, where she told me to go is going to be the big favorite in this race. And I have to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm in love with this horse. Uh, he's obviously in very good form. He's looking for his fourth straight stakes win. But if you look at his last race, his buyer speed figure really fell off the cliff. He went from a 99 to an 83. And visually, I'm not sure I loved that performance. It was not a great field. He didn't change leads in the stretch. Um, I wonder if maybe this horse is a bit over the top. Now, I talked to Brittany Russell. She said that she really didn't train that horse very hard for that start figured that he could probably beat that field on 80% fitness and that he's going to be sharper for this race. Uh, we also have to remember that the Whiteley was originally scheduled for seven furlongs at Laurel. It's only going to be run at six at Pimlico. Uh, a lot of these changes make me a little bit leery of playing a short price. Uh, where she told me to go is going to be the favorite, is going to be the horse to beat. I want to play Lebda and give him one more try in this spot. Uh, I've been chasing him and I have to admit I've been pretty much wrong with him. He was a good three-year-old on the Maryland circuit. They got very ambitious with him. He paid the price. 
I thought his race in the fire plug at six furlongs was good two starts back, pressing the pace on the outside and then finishing behind two solid horses that came from off the pace in the General George last time out. I don't think he appreciated racing without Lasix. So he's getting Lasix here. And I think he can work out a good trip close to the pace of the eight Arthur's Hope, who turns back in distance with speed. Uh, I like Lebda. I also want to use Lakai, who obviously runs well at Pimlico, having won the De Francis Dasher last fall. Uh, this is a horse with good tactical speed. He usually breaks well from the gate, yet sometimes they take him off of it. I think Horatio Caramanos is going to be aggressive. So it's really an interesting way to kick off this sequence because you're going to have a heavy favorite with where she told me to go. But I do think there are other options. And uh, Lebda and Lakai, the two L's are where I'm leaning. Okay, Lebda, the only interesting thing about the interesting thing I just noted is that he's over three at the distance, but Lakai loves the distance with six wins there. Chris, where did you land here? Well, I kind of agree with most everything I heard heard Dan say. Um, one thing about Lakai is that his last two were without Lasix, and he also had less than ideal trips. Um, so I think he's had excuses actually for several of his recent races. And when he runs his best, he's really good. So, um, if they do really bet where she told me to go down, um, below that morning line and lock lackey, is it lackey? Is that how you pronounce it? Lakai. Lakai. Okay. Lakai. If Lakai, um, you know, floats up above the seven to two, uh, that that's kind of interesting, although it's still a little bit short for me. Um, I think this is a really wide open race if uh, and the horse I decided to go with is just pretty much the a speed play. I, I think Arthur's hope he, he loses a lot of races, but when he does get loose on the lead, sometimes he gets brave. And I like that his last race wasn't bad for going a mile. And now he cuts back to six furlongs in a race where it looks like he should be able to get the lead. And if the track is at all, you know, speed favoring, um, he could be tough to run down and he might end up being a, a pretty big price. So anytime I can get a horse, I think might be loose on the lead um, that that um, especially if the track could be favoring speed going six furlongs on the dirt. I'm a little tempted to lean in that direction at a price. So the eight Arthur's hope is probably um, where I would say, you know, there's as terms of a pod pick or a value win bet. Um, I like him. I thought you would pick him because you've picked him before and uh, he does look like the only speed. And it should be noted that uh, at the last Pimlico meet at six furlongs, 63% of the runners were right near the lead. 74% were at least early pressers. So, so speed definitely uh, has an advantage at Pimlico. I'm going to go with uh, the one horse, factor it in. He's always been fast, and he comes in off the best race of his life. It was a layoff race for a trainer who doesn't win off layoffs. He was fast as a two-year-old. He won a six-furlong race with an 85 buyer. And he hasn't improved that much, so I think he still has some upside. On April 3rd, so like three weeks ago, three um, rate workouts ago, he had his fastest workout ever, a bullet 46 and four. That was the best of 136 workers. He gets a little weight break from many of the horses here carrying 126, he carries 122, and he is two for two at the distance. 
Anything you want to add, Dan? No, uh, I, I, I think both of your selections are really interesting alternatives to the favorite, Arthur's Hope. Uh, went very, very fast that second quarter mile to try to clear off going a mile, and that might have hurt him. I think a mile is a little long for him. So cutting back to six and being loose, you just have to go back to that race on July the 25th to see what happens when Arthur's Hope got loose. That was a day where Lakai broke sharp. They let Arthur's Hope go, and Arthur's Hope just outran Lakai to the wire. He rarely changes leads, if ever, in the stretch. Sometimes that hurts Arthur's Hope, but he has a strong advantage. And I think your notes, Scott, about the workouts on Factor It In are very, very interesting. These are some very, very quick workouts and a very confident spot. Remember, we haven't seen Factor It In since January the 1st. There are plenty of optional claiming races available uh, over the circuit, and they're going to run him in a stake. It's a confident placing. Yeah, you know, he, that's part of my uh, part of my analysis is that he hasn't won a stakes race yet, and this could be the one they're pointing for, right? First first step in in um, in achieving some some quality um, uh, legacy is winning a stakes race, whereas where she told me to go has won many stakes races, and uh, even from your article. Uh, in the daily racing form, Brittany Russell said that um, probably third race off the little freshening, you'll really see a good one. So even though she might think that the horse can still win, like she's really thinking that it's the next race that uh, the horse is going to be pointed to. No, I yeah, agree I, about that. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish up, Dan. That's fine. I wasn't talking about no, no, the horse. I, no, I, I just think that, that Scott's right. Brittany did seem to indicate that he, she expects this horse to run better, certainly uh, this time, but that maybe next time would be best. Yeah, the only other horse I would mention is kind of interesting, especially given what Dan said about horses training away from the track is absentee comes in off a layoff, been training, you know, um, away from uh, Pimla, away from Laurel. And comes in fresh and and the horses run well fresh before and you know the fact that they spot it in a stakes race right off the bench like again i think is kind of a positive sign so you know that horse not impossible in a pretty wide open race obviously based on the fact we've mentioned just about the entire field but you know that one is i wouldn't be shocked if absentee won and it's one that might get completely overlooked in the bidding and, and the trainer is really good off layoffs as well so just another one to consider in a wide open race. Yeah, I'm certainly uh, off. <laughs> I was going to say I'm absolutely using absentee. That was my second choice in the race. Um, you know, ran against the speed flow in the hot fall high weight handicap in his last race and finished third in the fall high weight handicap. So, you know, he he's got to be considered. And the trainer, uh, as Chris mentioned, the trainer has a 263 ROI off a 90 day or more layoff. It's really all about pace for that horse, isn't he? Uh, he does have some stalking ability, which you mentioned. He was up against the flow last time out. It just seemed like speed did very well on the track on fall highway day. Uh, if there is some extra pressure, this horse is certainly fast enough to, to compete and win. Yeah, one other thing I want to mention about Lakai, who I'm also using. So I'm using factored in absentee and Lakai. He had to run pretty early from the inside in his last, and it was a seven furlong race where he is 0 for 6. He, he did get one DQ win at that distance, but he's 6 for 22 at six furlongs. So, and, and he prefers to run from the outside. So 
So I think he's got a really big shot. I would I would use him equally with uh, the other two. All right, we'll move to the eighth race. It's the Henry S. Clark, a mile and 16th on turf. And it looks like we will be on the turf because the forecast now is just saying cloudy. Uh, the purse is 100000 for three-year-olds and up. Chris, what did you think here? <laughs> well, this one is not any easier than the last one. Um, this is one of those wide-open turf routes that we, we have quite a few of these on the pod. Um, where you can go a lot of different directions. I think Pixelate's probably a deserving favorite, but not a, you know, a standout in any way. Um, probably is the most likely winner, but you, I, I, I would recommend you try to get past him in terms of if you're thinking about bidding to win. And the horse that I landed on was the five-horse 91 Assault, who I actually had tabbed off his last race. I thought it was a pretty troubled trip. Um, in fact, the last two races he's had um, at fairgrounds, he had pretty, pretty, you know, less than ideal trips. And on his best, he's definitely good enough to win in here. And you know, I just think he's probably in much better form than it looks like. And if he can get a good trip, and he has a pretty good rider in post, then he certainly could pull the upset. And he's eight to one in the morning line in this big field. You might get that eight to one. So I'm 591 Assault is my pick. 91 Assault, four for 16 at the distance. Dan, where did you land here? I, I spent way too much time handicapping this race. This race should be a war and is probably one of the better betting races on the card. It's very evenly matched. Uh, I agree that Pixelate might well be the horse to beat, but I don't absolutely love this horse. I think he's going to be bet down because people saw that he was in against Colonel Liam in his last two races. And Colonel Liam is arguably the best turf horse in the country right now. Is Pixelate good? Yes. Does he have a strong edge over this field? No. The two horses that I want to key on in here are in no particular order for uh, the uh, pick five. The seven Eons and the one Corelli. Eons uh, is, a, is a capable horse on his best day. He's a graded stakes winner at nine furlongs, but is capable at this distance as well. I thought he ran okay two starts back at Tampa Bay. He was in a bit tight on the back stretch, and once he eased out, he was able to finish in a, a race that had a pretty good pace. Last time out again, it was a situation in the Canadian turf, a graded stakes race this year where he couldn't race with Lasix. He swung wide into the stretch and he just didn't really threaten, but he's very, very consistent from a number standpoint. And I trust Arno de la Cour where he places his runners, especially on the Maryland circuit. I also think Eons is going to get the right pace. To me, and I'm interested in both of your thoughts on Corelli, because I think from a talent standpoint, he's just as good as anyone in this field. I just wonder if this distance is a little bit too sharp for him and that he might actually be using this race as a prep for something longer. Uh, I bet him in the UN last year at six to one. He ran okay in that race. It wasn't the greatest UN for a grade one, a grade one race. He ran fine. The sword dancer, he was completely overmatched against channel maker. And I think last time out preceding the layoff, he just looked like a horse that was in need of a break. But I think on his best day, he fits with these horses. And uh, I think if he goes off a little bit higher than that five to one morning line, I'd be interested in using him. But Eons to me, Corelli, and if I really wanted a big long shot, I know Dreams of Tomorrow looks a little bit cheap, but should McGahee trained horses, they just seem to improve 
with uh, age maturity uh, experience. That's a good point about Corelli. I thought you had to use him just because the trainer is hitting at 36% this year, and he can certainly hit off a layoff. Um, but you're right, on the horse is a marathoner. Um, I would I would probably include him just out of fear um, because I think I've got some value later in the pick five, so I'd want to include him. Um, the horse that I landed on is the same one as Chris, 91 Assault. And let's see, um, I don't really have anything else to add except that uh, he's capable of running fast enough to win, and he checked a few times in his last race. So, uh, and he's, he's a nice price. Uh, I would also, because this race I think is so evenly matched, I would also include Pixelate, Eons, Corelli, and Doc Boy is like sort of the one long shot that I think maybe has a shot to bomb it. I think he's a kind of a low morning line, but uh, he ran his best race in his last race as a late three-year-old has had a few more months to develop and uh, capable of a big improvement as a young four-year-old. Actually, Doc Boy's 15 to one on the morning line. Um, and you know, he is, you know, Michael Stidham has the favorite pixelate, but I do think Doc Boy has a lot of upside. I don't know if he's quite ready to take on this level, but I definitely think he will run a, a, a good race in here. Um, and I, I'm kind of leaning in the direction that Dan kind of hinted at with Corelli in that this does just smack of being a prep for a longer race. I mean, this horse, maybe they think he can go shorter, but I mean, his history has always been, you know, even back in Europe was running really long distances. And if you watch him run, he's kind of, kind of a grindy plotty type, not a, you know, a big run, one run turf horse. So I, I, Certainly he could win, but I would be kind of against him in here. I'm usually against these kind of horses off a layoff that, you know, run a mile and a half, mile and three. This guy's run over two miles before, um, you know, in a mile and a 16th prep. So if he takes money, I, I'm willing to leave him out of any bets. Um, I do have a question for you, Dan, before I say the other horse I like besides 91 Assault. What do you think about outside posts in the two-turn turf races at – Pimlico is that a big disadvantage like you think it would be on a on a turf race or you know how does it typically play out during the meet I think if you have the tactical speed to avoid being hung out too wide on the turn I think it's okay um I I think outside posts are mostly disadvantageous uh in the in two turn races on the turf and just going back though at Pimlico over the last few years Horses have shown that they can win. Post 10 at a mile and a 16th at Pimlico on the turf is 9 for 41. That's 22% winners. Uh, post 12, 2 for 13. I think if you have the horse with tactical ability, you have enough time to get over. And if you have a closer, you're just going to take that horse back anyway and make one run. There's plenty of room in the stretch. So I'm really not that concerned too much about post position. Uh, if you believe you have the horse on the outside, a horse like Doc Boy, for example, draws outside here this horse has tactical speed you can do whatever the rider wants well i want that's what i wanted to hear you say i was hoping you'd say something like that because the other horse i like is actually the extreme outside horse the 14 dixie drawl uh it's an interesting horse because uh as a three-year-old it ran on the turf several times and its turf efforts were pretty much in line with the dirt efforts it was a much, it wasn't a particularly fast horse as a three-year-old 
but I didn't seem didn't seem like it was much worse um, on the turf and the dirt. And then it sort of became a dirt horse and got really good as a four-year-old and a five-year-old, and it's it's really sharp right now. And I just now that if it can translate anything like its recent dirt form back to the turf, uh, it could be you know certainly win this race. And it has plenty of tactical speed, you know, to get over um, hopefully and not get caught too wide on that first turn. So to me, that Dixie draw at twenty to one is very interesting um, long shot. Now it could turn out that. It's just really ended up being a dirt horse and, and switching back to the turf. It won't take to it at all and run, it can run up the track. But if it does take to it, you know, it might win at 20 or 30 to one. Um, so it's the kind of horse I'm always interested in. He's a very big, strong horse. Uh, firm turf would be good for him. He actually weighed in at uh, 1,167 pounds for his last race. He's a giant. It's no surprise that maybe it's taken him some time to mature and get into that big body and get out to a distance of ground. But he has good tactical speed. And he did run down Arthur's Hope, the horse we talked about in the previous race last time. And the race before that, I think he was very much compromised in the Harrison E. Johnson in a race where they basically ran 1-2 all the way around the track well yeah i i i'm i'm just gonna wish you luck with that dixie draw I, <laughs> um, especially from that post uh, i thought he would only run if there was on dirt that's the way i was looking at the race uh looking at uh figure that he'll probably scratch but we'll see the next race is the ninth it's the weber city miss a mile and a 16th on dirt purse of 125,000 for three-year-old fillies. And what did you think here, Dan? I, I think Little Stitious is a very logical favorite for the Tom Amos barn. This horse came up here to run in the Beyond the Wire. It was a very oddly run race. I talked to Jerry Robb, the trainer of Street Loot, who was the big favorite in that race, and was stunned when he told me before the race that he didn't want to be on the lead with Street Loot, who was stretching out to a mile for the first time with that good tactical speed. And lo and behold, they didn't want the lead really with Street Loot. He and Fraudulent Charge ended up just sort of sparring on a moderate, on a moderate uh, pace. And Little Stitches sat third and was outpaced a little bit on the turn and then just came very gamely to run down Fraudulent Charge in the wire. Now, I'm sure that the connections after that race, the plan was to ship out of town and run in another Kentucky Oaks prep. Because of the equine herpes virus quarantine, Little Stitches has been stuck at Laurel. The advantage that he ha she has is that Amos horses are, tr are stabled with Brittany Russell up in Maryland. Brittany has stalls at Pimlico. He, uh, he, she was able to get Little Stitches up at Pimlico and get a very good workout into her the other day uh, in company with May the Horse Be With You, who's going to be one of the favorites in the Tessio a little bit later on in the card. Uh, Little Stitious has a good, good tactical gear. Uh, she's proven around two turns, having won that stakes race at Delta Downs. Uh, I think she's just a very logical uh, player, uh, unfortunately, at a short price. I also think Fraudulent Charge, a, a horse that has had a little bit of tough luck. I mean, losing three stakes races by a length or less, that's tough luck. Um, I think she's going to appreciate the distance as well. Lacey Gaudet. Uh, is very confident that she'll stretch out. She's a very big horse for a three-year-old filly. She's over 1,100 pounds. Uh, she'll she'll probably run well also. I'm not going to try to get cute and get past the two favorites. 
Okay, a little stitious. Uh, I think it might have been in your article that Tom Amos said he was supremely confident that she was ready for this race. Chris, what did you think? Well, I actually like Fraudulent Charge quite a bit. For my two biggest opinions are one, the five Olivia of the Desert, who's uh, five to two on the morning line. I don't like that horse. I do think it will take money. So uh, I think, you know, there's some value in, in eliminating that horse. But between Fraudulent Charge and Little Stitches, you know, I really like Fraudulent Charge. I mean, I this horse couldn't beat Street Loot the first two times, but it actually, it, maybe they weren't going fast, but they were dueling. I mean, they were head to head. And to me, you know, a lot of it's about horse comfort rather than, than the actual pace. And, you know, that, that, he, that uh, Fraudulent Charge, you know, she eyeballed Street Loot throughout the whole race and actually outfinished her, put her away. And, um, couldn't quite hold off little stitches, but to me, that was a giant effort, especially first time routing. And, um, you know, street loot's not in this race. So for once she doesn't have to worry about that. And you know, by will take charge out of a quality road mare. This horse is bred to get better with distance. You know, I, I really think this horse can turn the tables on little stitches. And if you're going to play the pick five, I think the way to go is to, you know, just single fraudulent charge and, get some value by um, if you can beat little Stitious and Olivia the desert. So uh, I, it's kind of a little bit chalky, but I think in a pick three, this horse could be the third choice, you know, pick five or pick three or daily double and maybe even in the wind pool. So I, I like fraudulent charge in here the two. Well, another reason to like fraudulent charge, who I think is a, 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 a must use is that she's getting four pounds now from little Stitious and she was giving one pound in that last race. The horse I landed on top, I, I am using Fraudulent Charge. I, I like them both equally, Hybrid Eclipse and Fraudulent Charge. A Hybrid Eclipse has a win at the distance, and that was her first time going two turns, and she finished without being asked, and she galloped out with her ears pricked. She's a little horse, and she got a little bit of a setup. Like It seemed like they were going pretty fast at the beginning of that race. But, um, but you know, she she's... One for one, going two turns, and she's only a little bit slower than Fraudulent Charge and Little Stitious, and she looked good in her last. So those are the two that I will use. And I'm going to just take a chance that Little Stitious is a little distance challenged. Uh, even though she's one at two turns, it was only at seven furlongs, and this is a mile of 16th. And a moon safe scratch today to run in this race. I was uh, wondering where, where she would run. So she will run here, likely will provide some of the pace. And uh, that might actually help a horse like Fraudulent Charge, who was head and head with Street Loot last time out. We've seen her very comfortable from off the pace in the past. And I think maybe uh, she could use moon safe as a target. That's good. I, I like that. Makes me feel a little bit better about Fraudulent Charge. I guess we'll go then to the 10th. It's the Federico Tessio, a mile and an eighth on dirt. Purse of 125000 for three-year-olds. Chris, what did you think here? Well, this race is, uh, I, I really like a horse in here that will be a price, and that's the two-horse Tis Mandate. Um, this horse has just uh, been a little bit, you know, it tends to kind of get, fall back and and kind of get eliminated just not not get into the race early enough 
Uh, that's just been its MO and all of its starts. Um, it certainly looks like a horse that will appreciate longer distance. Its first route was its last start, and that was the best race of its life. And it ran second behind the favorite, May the Horse Be With You. But, you know, that was a small field, and May the Horse Be With You got to set an easy pace. And so really, horse had no chance at all. And now they go a little longer and they put blinkers on Tiz Mandate, which I think could really make a big difference. And hopefully it will get her into the race a little sooner. Um, and she's had time to develop a couple months since that last race. And I just think the longer distance, the blinkers, um, and the fact that May the Horse Be With You is not going to have an easy lead all by itself this time. There's, there's a bigger field and some other horses that could, could put a little bit more pressure on early that Tiz Mandate could, you know, really run a much improved race and kind of pull off a big upset at a big price. So I'm, I like the two Tiz Mandate. Woo. I, I, I also like the fact that he skipped the private term stakes because when I talked to Damon de Ludovico about this horse, he, this horse has been a source of tremendous optimism and a source of tremendous frustration for Damon. He says this horse has tremendous ability really wants to go a distance of ground, but is as green as grass. He doesn't know how to run just yet. He was actually telling me that if he wasn't a Ridgeling already, he would probably just geld him completely and try to get him to figure everything out. I like the fact that he gave him time to mature. He put the blinkers on and he's going to get some pace in this race. He's a very interesting horse at 12 to one uh, to be sure. He's putting on the blinkers and the trainer hits at 26% making that move. Where did you actually land, Dan? Boy, I, I've had, I had a lot of problems in this race. Um, I have to be honest with you. I was going to give Shackled Love one more chance, even though he probably had the right race flow in the private terms. And then I talked to Gary Capuano, who told me that he'd missed two works with this horse and really wasn't very comfortable with him going a mile and an eighth. And usually trainers are all you know, uh, champagne and roses and my horse is doing great. And you're very rarely get a trainer saying, well, I'm not really sure about this. I guess I still have to play him. I picked him. I have some sort of an obligation, but now I have to kind of look elsewhere. I, I might have some distance concerns with may the horse be with you. Who's the likely favorite in this race. I'm not sure if he really wants to go a mile uh, and an eighth. Uh, Hello Hot Rod is stretching out in distance. He's a half to Hello Beautiful, who's one of the better sprinters on the circuit. He sold for $335,000 at public auction after he won the Jimmy Winkfield, but he's going a mile and an eighth off a long layup. You would think he's going to go right to the front. I talked to Sean Davis yesterday. He says he doesn't necessarily want the lead. So I'm struggling as to where I want to go. I'm a little bit interested in the horse coming down from New York, the four of the Reds, who ran on the Gotham last time out. He probably had no chance in that race. This race is probably going to come down to who wants the distance. I know the Reds wants it. He, he got a mile and an eighth, two starts back at Aqueduct. I'm going to pick Shackled Love. I picked him in the paper. I guess I'm stuck with him, even though I talked to Gary after I finished my analysis. I guess the Reds is somewhat interesting to me at a little bit of a price. Okay. Well, I, I came up with a, another horse that you guys haven't mentioned, and there aren't that many horses in this race, so this should be interesting. I'm landing on the one accelerator. He's actually three for four on dirt. His only loss being his last race, where not only was he going two turns for the first time, 
but he stumbled pretty badly at the start. And it's not obvious because there's no head-on replay, but if you watch that replay, watch. He he actually like goes to his knees at the start, and it's it's from the the camera is from pretty high above, but I think that there's no mistaking that the horse stumbled, and he still ran evenly, and he was closing in the end against those two other horses. Um, which are the two favorites in this race, Shackled Love and um, May the Horse Be With You. Uh, his previous race, I, I watched that race too. It was only six and a half furlongs, but he made a huge run, finished with a flourish, and was hard to contain on the gallop out. He's got a night. He might have missed some training. I'm a little worried about that, but he does have a nice one-mile bullet work last week to prep him for the nine furlongs. I think it's... I think there's virtually no chance he's six to one. I think he'll go much higher than that. And um, I'm just going to make him my single here because uh, I'm not in love with any other horse and he's, he's fast enough to win this race. Just one note on that. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and that, and that's a Hugh McMahon specialty, the one mile breeze before a race. He really likes to do that to add stamina. He has a good success rate off of that move. And I was just going to add that uh, there's a note that before that last race, he had to have a shoe repaired or replaced. So that might have agitated him some as well. So your one horse accelerator. So that's just another thing in his favor on that last race. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would bring up that replay, anybody who's got formulator or if you're looking at replays through any other source. And just just watch that race. I mean, uh, he, he, he stumbles at the start. It's not in the chart. How do you guys think the pace is going to play out in this race? Again, you would just think that Hello Hot Rod has to be on the lead. I was surprised when the trainer told me he doesn't necessarily want to be there. Zertz is the kind of horse who got bumped around on the first turn last time. I, I thought he was going to be on the lead in the private turn, stretching out. He wasn't. You have to think he's going to show some speed. And the two outside horses, they're not really burners, they're tactical. How do you think this pace is going to play out? Well, you never know with the jockeys nowadays. But That's right. You would, you would think, especially for a mile and eighth, it will be, you know, at least honest at, 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 and possibly quick, I, I would think. I, I think given that uh, Shackle Love sat right off May the Horse Be With You last race and had success, that's how it's going to play out in this race. Okay. I'm hoping for a fast pace because I think that that will definitely benefit the horse. I liked his mandate. Uh, the faster they go, the better it will be for him. Uh, and I am just hoping that that inside post, he'll save ground and that uh, with the blinkers, he won't fall quite as far back as he has in his recent races. But we'll have to wait and see how it, how it shakes out. Yeah, it's a tricky pick five because, you know, some races they look like you got to go with just like the two or three chalks. And, and, but you know, one or two of these races is going to be won by a price horse. So it's just, it's just, it's picking the right one. Hmm. Let's go to the 11th race. It's the King Leatherberry Stakes, five furlongs on the turf, purse of 100,000 for three year olds and up. Dan, what did you think here? Well, I was going to single Karatari, and then Brian Lynch called me back and says he's not shipping him up from his Churchill base. He was concerned about the rain. Uh, maybe he was concerned for no reason because it doesn't look like there's going to be a ton of rain. He's going to run that horse on Oaks Day, I believe, in the Twin Spires turf sprint. Uh, with him out, to me, it's more of a wide open race. I 
am going to throw out there a crazy horse that's going to be a ridiculous price and is an unlikely winner, but I'm going to use him. And that's the number two fair catch. Fair catch is 30 to one on the morning line. He's run against much cheaper horses, but some of the work he did over this circuit at Laurel last year was very, very good. They put him on the turf. He immediately improved. Bang, his first turf start. He was pushed by two other horses. He kept on going. You have to remember, five and a half furlong turf races at Laurel, it features a very long stretch. And Faircatch was still able to keep going. They tried to get him on turf in his next three races, frustrated by circumstances, either washed off or taken off. And then they got him back on the turf, and he just destroyed a field of $16,000 claimers, won very, very easily. Now, maybe he just showed that he's not that classy when they shipped him out of town, and he couldn't compete with these horses. But I thought his race with at Tampa Bay four starts back was pretty good, where he was battling on the lead. He got beat a nose by a horse, Fox Rocks, and you can go into Formulator. I mean, while Fox Rocks is not a world beater, the horse has won 24 times in his career. Uh, I've always thought that in, in, in races with turf sprinters, there really isn't much separating the stakes horses and the allowance horses. Fair catch to me, the last two races at Gulfstream maybe haven't been great. Blinkers were on that day. He's run best without blinkers. I want to use this horse at a crazy price with, uh, you know, a horse like Completed Pass, who ran one of the more remarkable races of the year last year in the Laurel Dash, where in a five and a half for a long turf race at Laurel, he almost went down when he clipped heels on the far turn. He still won. Uh, but you have to deal with the layoff with a horse like him. And Frank Atelier, a horse is very, very fast. You have to deal with the layoff with him. Those two are logical. I'm just curious and fair catch at a, at a nutty price. Well, the one thing I'll say about fair catch is that he he can win on the lead. And three of five races last fall at this distance were won by uh, the horses on the lead. Chris, where did you land? Well, I just want to tell Dan, I really like that's That's a sport of Kings pod pick there. Fair catch at 30 to one. I, I love it. So the first thing I thought was interesting on this race is I think like the morning line maker, whoever it was, was like tired or had to get somewhere because there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven horses at 30 to one or higher on the morning line. I don't think I, I've seen that before. So it's like he got halfway through the race and said, I'll just make all the rest 30 to one. <laughs> so uh, uh, I actually like a different 30 to one shot in here. And that's the, the nine news to me. Uh, to me, this is a really kind of a classic horse that I like to play. He won his debut, which I always like. His second start was on turf, uh, and that was actually his only start ever on turf. And it looks really bad from a final time perspective, but he actually set the pace for half a furlong and then got tired. Not sure what happened there, but, you know, my guess is something went wrong in that race, but he bounced right back and won on synth. And. He was just a really solid two-year-old, put together a lot of good races, um, even an early three-year-old. And then his, his you know, really big race was his race in June at Woodbine on the synth, where he just crushed a really good field. Had horses in that race like um, Untitled and a few other good horses in there. And, you know, and if he can run that race on synth on turf, he just will crush his field. And... Um, you know, like I said, his only turf race wasn't bad and he's run some really big races on synth. So there's no reason to think he can't handle the turf. 
he kind of went sour after that big race. He ran one in the slop that was bad, and he just never really ran well after that. They ran a couple more times and then put him on the bench. So it was either that big effort at Woodbine or, or something in the slop that went wrong. But he comes down fresh now. They, they gelded him. He's been training away from Laurel, you know, at Fair Hill. Got a whole long string of good workouts for a good layoff trainer. And, um, you know, we know he can run well fresh because he broke his maiden in his first start. And that big race in Woodbine was off of freshening. So, you know, his best races have come off of layoffs. And if, you know, he does fire, he could just crush this bunch, I think. So if I don't think he'll be 30 to one, but uh, I think that's a bad morning line, but I think he will be a good price. And to me, he could be a standout in here if he fires. So I like the nine news to me. All right. Uh, ballsy pick. And I'm actually using that horse. He's, uh, you know, he's got that big number as a three-year-old and now comes in off a layoff. Uh, he's working well out there at Fairhill. So he's a use, but I went with a different horse on top. Uh, it's very rare that I actually like Jamie Ness horses. Uh, I usually am trying to beat them because they're heavy favorites. But in this case, he's six to one, and that is so street. He was pretty fast last year. He's working up a storm coming into this race, like serious workouts, notably best workouts. For a trainer who hits 23% off a 90-day or more layoff. Um, I just think it's, 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 this is my chance to cash with Jamie Ness. Uh, I hope, I hope I do, but I'll also be using love you much who always runs well off the layoff. Doesn't necessarily win, but one of these days might. And then my absolute bomber, my, my fair catch, uh, for this race is Williston way shows a sensational 45 flat workout last week. He ships in for a trainer who doesn't win outside of the Kentucky, Ohio circuit, but he is circling back to a big number. And, uh, I, I just, I, I want to be alive to him if, uh, if I do make it this far. And Scott coming into today, a very interesting stat with Jamie Ness, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to find a hotter trainer in the country. Uh, according to formulator over the last month, he is 27 for 56 with a $2.93 ROI. Yikes. Well, hey, so maybe, maybe he won't be <laughs> six to one. Maybe he'll be three to one. Oh, no. He'll, I, I think he'll be a good price in this race because Frank Atelli and Completed Pass are very popular horses. They're big names. Uh, they've got the figures. I think you're going to get a good price on this horse. He's very upwardly mobile. I believe this is his first start as a four-year-old. Yeah, and that Frank Atelli, you know, the trainer, Cathal Lynch, uh, it doesn't specialize in the layoff. So uh, I'm worried about him being on the lead and maybe wire in this field. But the trainer has a, a 0.85 ROI uh, with horses coming off a 90-day-plus layoff. Yeah, to me, this race, oh, this race has chaos written all over it because the two favorites really are coming off layoffs. And does, it's not like you can't come off a layoff and win a five furlong turf race, but these trainers aren't, that's not their specialty, not their strength. And if, you know, those two don't run their best, it's wide open and anything could happen. So I, I think this is a race where you, 
if you're serious about playing the pick five, you would probably want to spread out. You know, I, I like news to me. Dan likes fair catch. Scott likes so street. And we all probably think there's others in here that have it, uh, you know, a chance. So this to me is a spread race for sure. All right. Well, it seems like we've covered that pick five. Do you guys have any other picks on the card? It's it's there's one other stakes race, um, and then the rest of the races are not that great of quality. There's one other horse I like, and that's in the fifth race. That's a horse named Bourbon Street. It's pretty much of a, a weak claiming race. Bourbon Street last time out got bumped hard leaving the gate rushed up got involved in a speed duel with two other horses he put those horses away had the lead at the 16th pole and then just understandably tired just went way too fast i think in this race the pace situation is going to be a lot easier for bourbon street if he breaks well and i think if he gets to the front he might uh, be sort of tough to, to run down bourbon street seven to two maybe he'll go off a little higher do you have anything, Chris? He's desperately trying to hit the mute button to the unmute button. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was trying. I was hoping to also look at the other stakes race, but I, I just focused on the five that we covered today, so I didn't get a chance yet to look at that that other stakes race. Okay, well, uh, been a pleasure handicapping with you guys. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Dan Illman. Dan, thanks for taking the time to handicap with us and do a little roundtable. Thanks for the invite. It's always great talking to you two guys. All right, that will conclude show number 117 of the Sport of Kings pod. Good luck in the Pimlico Pick 5, and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout. I'll see you on Sport of Kings. Cheers. Idiot.